Heavenly Father, remind us why we're here tonight. Remind us that we're not here tonight because uh, this is just kind of what preachers do. Preachers are supposed to preach, so that's why I'm here. We're, we're not here because somebody planned an event and, well, now we have to carry it through. Um, we aren't here just to find something to do on a Friday. We're here because before time began, you planned for us to be here. And you planned to be here with us tonight. And you planned to give us the gift of a word that never loses its power. You planned to speak and write Hebrew and Aramaic centuries ago in a faraway place. You planned to work in the life of your servant Daniel so that we could be changed by your Holy Spirit tonight. We're here tonight because you love the world and because you always have and because your plans for the world won't happen without us. So wake us up and get us ready and give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Did you ever hear the phrase, dare to be a Daniel? Right now, that, that phrase has kind of gone out of style. I think it was probably, probably older than the grandparents of the grandparents of the grandparents of the people who are in this room, right? But, but dare to be a Daniel, kind of this sense that there are some heroes in the Bible and you should be like them. And Daniel is one of those heroes. So there's a risk tonight that I'm about to read from Daniel 1 and everybody in the room, except for maybe a couple of you who are pretty arrogant, are going to think this has nothing to do with me because I'm just not a Daniel. He was a hero. I'm just kind of me. And again, there might be a couple of us in the room who are like, yeah, I'm a hero. That, we've got other problems. <laughs> Can we just start by saying No. Can we start by saying the book of Daniel is not about Daniel? Daniel's name says something important. Daniel, God is my judge. His name means God is the main thing in my life, not me. So let's hear about a teenage boy who became a slave, whose home was destroyed whose people were taken captive, who was forced to go to a university he didn't want to go to, to take a major he didn't choose. It's not the story of a strong hero who's on top of the world. It's the story of a God who loves the world and uses even people who seem very weak to pursue the good of the world that he made. This is the story of how God used Daniel. We'll read the beginning and the end of the chapter and we'll summarize the middle. Some of you will remember it. 
You've heard it before. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels from the house of God. And he, Nebuchadnezzar, brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Now, wait a minute. I thought we said Daniel wasn't the hero because this sounds like a, he's a good-looking guy who's real smart. Just, just wait. We'll hear where he got all his wisdom. The story will tell us that Daniel's wisdom didn't come from Daniel. Well, what, what did this chief eunuch appoint these young men to do? The king wanted to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans, another name for the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Now, at this point, that man said to Daniel, listen, I'm not sure why you want to eat strange food, why you don't want to just eat what the king is offering you. But here's the thing. If you don't eat, you won't be healthy. You will get sick. The king will want to know why I'm not doing my job and he will cut my head off. So Daniel says, I don't care. I hope you die, you stinking pagan. No, that's not what Daniel said at all. Because Daniel knew God's heart for the world. And he said, well, I don't want you to be in danger. I don't want you to get in trouble because of me. So let's do a little test. You feed all the other guys the stuff that the king is offering and you feed me and my three friends just vegetables and water. And at the end of, of this test period, let's see if we're still healthy and strong like the others. And so they agreed, Let, let's do it. And at the end of the 10 days, if you've read this chapter before, you know how it turned out. 
They were better in appearance and fatter in flesh, the text says, than all the youths who ate the king's food. We'll pick back up with verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. Hang on, don't miss that part. How did these young men get so wise and so good at learning and skilled at understanding? God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel was there for over 60 years. Be true to yourself. You got to be free to live your life as long as you don't hurt anybody else. You do what makes you happy. Uh, two of the leaders from our church who work with our youth ministry went to a conference recently and uh, involved youth leaders from all over the nation. And they were reflecting and, and kind of said, if we were going to write a catechism that summarized, you know, sort of a creed for this moment in our history in the United States, what are the fundamental beliefs that our culture embraces. And that was the summary. Like the, the teenagers we are working with, this is their bread and butter. These are the beliefs you just don't call into question. Be true to yourself. You gotta be free to live your life. Don't let anybody else tell you how to live. Live your life as long as you don't hurt anybody else. It doesn't matter what you do. Do what makes you happy. That's sort of the creed of our culture in this moment. And we might say, well, that sounds pretty bad because that sounds pretty self-centered, self-driven. Surely we're meant for something bigger than just self-expression. So, Let's run away from the culture and hide in the church where it's not like that, right? Because in the church, we're not like that. The thing is, this whole self issue is not just a culture problem. It's a church problem too. I don't know if Chuck has ever heard this, but I've heard it more than once, having pastored more than one church. Therefore, the Guilty will be protected, you know, some anonymity here. And you've probably heard people say things like this. Heck, you might have even said something like this. Don't you take away my fill in the blank with your favorite thing or I will leave this church. Because I got to be free to be me. I got to get my needs met. I got to get all my preferences fulfilled because mainly church is about me. 
because mainly all of life is really about me. So why should it be different in the church? And so all of a sudden we find out if we dig deep enough that this fixation on self isn't just a cultural problem. It's a church problem too. It's just so easy for us all to live for something that's only this big, for something that only reaches from the top of our head to the ground, to live for something that's just me. And there's some good news that runs throughout all of scripture. God has set us apart to live for something bigger than ourself. He has set us apart to live for something bigger. Why use that language of set apart? Well, it's, it's the language that we hear here in Daniel chapter one. We read that Daniel and his friends, verse four says, they were without blemish. Now that language is found elsewhere in the Old Testament, only describing the sacrifices that were offered in the temple. This is the language of, of holiness, of, of dedication to God and his purposes. This is not language saying these were the guys who had no pimples in their teenage years. This is not telling us about the quality of their skin, right? This is, this is telling us the, these young men were set apart by God for something bigger than themselves. We read similar language when Daniel says in verse eight, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or drink. That's, that's the language of the Levitical code. What happens if you break some of these purity laws? So, so holiness, being set apart by God for a special purpose is at the heart of the whole book of Daniel. And here in chapter one, God sets his people apart for something bigger than self. How do we know that from this chapter? Well, I'm sorry to say, but you probably missed it. Because when we're reading a book called Daniel and it's full of stories that we know are about a guy called Daniel, we kind of don't pay attention until the opening credits are off the screen. You know how it is when you go to a movie, right? It's like, oh, I can miss this part. I, I, can, I can run out to the restroom while they're doing this stuff. It doesn't matter if I'm on my way back with my popcorn and my big old Coke while they're still doing, because that's not the real story yet. And verses one and two are like that. They don't say anything about Daniel, but listen to what they say about God's work in the whole world. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that's a long way from Judah. That's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles. That's, that's going from Iraq to Israel. This is a big scale. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of this conquering empire, emperor from Babylon. And now there's a contest to see if the God of Israel is only the God of one little tiny place or is he the God of the whole world? Are we called to live for one tiny little place and one tiny little group of people 
in one tiny little moment? Or is our God for the whole world, every place, every moment? That is the question that hangs over the whole of the book of Daniel, which is why we're going to be listening to the book of Daniel all weekend long. Because that's the heartbeat through the whole book. You see, I conquered your God, Nebuchadnezzar would say. I tore down his house. In the year 586, my army surrounded your God's city and tore down his temple. And we took the cool stuff from your temple, all the stuff plated with gold and silver and precious jewels, and we hauled it back to our God's temple. So whose God is God after all? Ha! The whole book is a contest asking a question. Whose God is God in Babylon? Whose God is God in Israel? Whose God is God over all the world and every nation? Daniel and his friends are set apart for something way bigger than self because their story is part of this much bigger story. God has a vision and a purpose, not just for one tiny little place and one tiny little moment. Through one tiny little people. He has a purpose to show every nation at every time through people of all kinds that he is the one true and living God. And he sets his people apart for something that big. That's good news. That we are made for something bigger than self. We're made for, what are we made for? God sets us apart for something bigger than self. What did he set us apart for? It sets us apart for the good of the world. Really the good of the whole world? Yes. I'm a New Testament guy. Um, my PhD studies were in the Gospel of Luke. I taught in seminaries for about 12 years in a couple of different seminaries and uh, taught New Testament for most of those years, taught Greek. And um, John, I don't know what you're playing about, but you got more than your money's worth. I mean, I was, I was giving you freebies, right? The other guys were getting ripped off in the other class, not learning as much. Gosh. Um, so I, I haven't, I'd never preached through the book of Daniel until this year. And in the spring, we did the first half of Daniel. And right now we're doing the second half of Daniel at our church in our Sunday sermons. And um, I was shocked at how much this book has to say about God's, God's love for the whole world, every nation. That theme just runs through every chapter of the book of Daniel. I'm sure someone tried to teach me that when I was in seminary. I didn't learn it. See, being a seminary professor made me talk differently because before I taught in seminaries, I would say stuff like, they didn't teach me that in seminary. You know what I say now? I did not learn that in seminary, <laughs> right? Moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about, right? Your kids will say, mom and daddy didn't, they didn't tell me this. No, we told you, 
You just didn't hear it. <laughs> We're going to hear it tonight. That God has set us apart for the good of the world. All kinds of people. Even he has set us apart for the good of people whose culture is different from our own. Daniel and his friends did not speak the Babylonian language. They're now getting ready to learn a language that is different from their own because God has set them apart for the good of the city of Babylon. They're going to have to learn how to write a different kind of alphabet. If you've ever seen pictures of Babylonian tablets, they, they, don't, they don't look like a letter you could write. It, it just looks like pressing a, a reed into a piece of clay and making a little dimple on it. Right? Like if you were, if you were, did you have a Play-Doh pumper when you were a kid? You put the Play-Doh in, you squeeze the thing, and it, and it comes out. And then while the Play-Doh is still nice and soft, you can stick that little yellow knife looking thing into it. That's how you write in Babylon. That's not how you write back in Israel. Daniel and his friends every day, we're going to be confronted with the fact that we are not in a comfortable place. This culture is not ours. We don't speak this language. We don't know this alphabet. And we're going to have to learn what well, the text says, the literature and language of the Chaldeans. We're going to have to read their literature. Do you know what Babylonian literature is about? It's about what Babylonian gods and goddesses do. Daniel and his friends are going to have to spend a whole lot of time learning about gods and goddesses that don't exist. God has set us apart for the good of the whole world. And that world includes people whose, whose faith is not like ours. And whose culture is not like ours. And yet, we already hinted at this. Look at Daniel's gracious attitude toward one of these men whose culture and faith are different from his own. His attitude isn't, what do I care if Ashpenaz gets his head cut off by the king? I want to be a vegan. Daniel doesn't say that. He says, let's find a way to do this that's good for you. Let's find a way to do this that doesn't lead to you being cursed, but to you being blessed. God has set his people apart for the good of the world to bless all kinds of people. People whose language is different from our own, whose culture is different from our own. Even people whose religious beliefs are different from our own We're to work for their good. The impression you get as this chapter closes is not that Daniel and his friends are giving bad advice to the king of Babylon, right? In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than everybody else. Daniel and his friends worked hard at learning this new literature, this new language, this new alphabet. So that when it was time to give advice to the king, they could give good advice to the king. Oh, king, we want your reign to prosper and flourish. Oh, king, we want the Babylonian empire to become more just than it would be if we didn't live here. Oh, king, we want you to have more wisdom than you would have if 
for children of God weren't under the roof of your household. God loves the world and he sets us apart for the good of all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Where is Babylon? Well, the answer to that question depends on where you are. If you're here in, where are we? We're in Jacksonville, right? If you're here in Jacksonville, Babylon is somewhere else. Babylon is a long way away. If you wanted to do ministry in Babylon, you'd be thinking about, hmm, either becoming a missionary or supporting a missionary or going on the internet and finding out if there are some Iraqi Christians near the ancient city of Babylon and, and, and getting in touch with them. But that's a long way away. But if you live in Babylon, like Daniel did, Babylon is just right here where you are. So if you're, if you're reading this book, you see that, that God is, is saying something about all kinds of places. If I'm not in Babylon while I'm reading this book, I'm seeing that God is working somewhere else in the world other than where I am. But if I'm Daniel living this story out, I'm sensing that God is calling me to be about the good of the world right where he has planted me. And that's what I mean by saying God wants us to work for the good of the world in all kinds of places. And sometimes, sometimes when we talk about missions in the church, there are some of us who are great advocates for what we call foreign missions, for, for sending Christians to other nations and other places so that the mercy of Christ could be known throughout the world. What a glorious vision. Yes, God wants us to go to other places. But you know what? Jacksonville is an other place too. When Jesus sent out his disciples and said, go to all nations and the ends of the earth, he was talking about Jacksonville. Jacksonville is about as end of the earth as you can get from Jerusalem when you're having that conversation with your disciples, right? Some of us are big fans of local missions, of saying, let's, let's, just, let's just do the work of God right here where he has planted us. Do you know which of those two God wants us to be about? You can smell a rat, right? You know a false choice when, when one's being presented. Do you prefer plain donuts or chocolate glazed donuts? Well, in my house, yes, I do. The more the merrier. Um, my family and I, we're, we're famous, especially the men in my family for having a sweet tooth. We went uh, on vacation a few years ago. There were 16 of us, 12 adults and four children. And um, during the week we ate uh, 30, two dozen donuts. So we don't like being asked that kind of question. Yes, both, please, in great quantity. 
Yes, both please, God says, about the kind of place that we would think of when we think about working for the good of the world. Is that in faraway places or is that right here where God has planted us? The answer is yes, yes, yes. So my friends, the Luptons in Bogota, Colombia, they're working for the good of the world. They're from North Carolina. They're now in this capital city of Colombia. They're working for the good of the world. And then there's a team of about 30 or 40 volunteers at our church in Atlanta who have a, a, a ministry teaching English as a second language to immigrants and refugees from all over the world. So they're reaching people from all kinds of nations right there in Atlanta. They're working for the good of the world. And then there's my pastor friend who um, was concerned because this one older couple in his church, uh, they just weren't showing up very much. They were only there on Sunday mornings and didn't seem to really be connecting much with other people. And he was worried about them. My pastor friend was from Florida, but his name is not Chuck or John. And uh, so he went to visit with them. And as he was sitting in their home and talking, it's a lovely place you've got here. Um, when did you buy it? Well, you know, about three, four years ago. Um, and we've met our neighbors over that time. Well, t tell me about them. Well, Mrs. Johnson over there, she has to go for kidney dialysis a couple times a week. We take her to that. And then um, Mr. Smith, his wife just died recently. And so we've been taking care of him, watching out for him. And they just went around the whole cul-de-sac and described how they were just loving, hurting people right where God had planted them. And he said, it's been so nice visiting with you. And he didn't say anything to them about how they needed to get more involved in ministry. Now, which, which of those groups of people are, are doing what God wants? All of them are. My friends, the Luptons in Bogota have been set apart for the good of the world. All my friends in Atlanta in this English ministry are set apart for the good of the world. And so is that couple on their cul-de-sac. Right where they've been planted. God wants us to reach all kinds of people in all kinds of places. But here's the problem. It's too big. And we're too weak. Daniel could do that. Missionaries could do that. Heroes could do that. But I'm just little old me. The best news of Daniel 1 is that God sets us apart for the good of the world by his grace. He doesn't set us apart because we're powerful and strong and capable. He sets apart weak people through his strength. And being weak is no disqualification for being part of what God is doing in the world. Daniel was a teenage slave whose name was taken away from him 
And somebody else said, boy, from now on, you will be called. May the goddess rescue the king. That's what the name Belteshazzar means in Babylonian. Boy, from now on, we will call you a name that will remind you that our God is strong and your God is weak. And it's that weak Daniel taken advantage of by stronger people, captive as a slave. It's that Daniel who says, I know the king wants to feed me his food because the king wants me to be reminded every day that the only reason I stay alive is because of his power. But here's what I wanna to say to the king. I'm gonna eat different food because my life does not come from your strengths. It comes from my God. My strength does not come from me. It comes from my God. Daniel's not eating a different diet because he's afraid of breaking Old Testament dietary laws. The Old Testament doesn't say don't drink wine. There's no law against drinking wine. Some of the food the king would have served would have been available to Daniel. He wouldn't have broken any Old Testament laws. Daniel's not trying to be health conscious. He's not a vegan ahead of his time. Daniel is saying, King, I know what you're doing. You want me to remember every day, every time I put a bite of food in my mouth, every time I feel thirsty, you want me to think that your God is stronger than my God and that my strength comes from you, the King. And I want to remember every time I eat that my strength comes from one who loves the world, from a God who is not the kind of God that you imagine, who lives in a house and only rules in one place. You see what kind of God we serve? The kind of strength he would give us? That he would say, I have something for you to do and it's as big as the whole world and you are tiny and it's going to require a whole bunch of love and you don't have much love to go around and it's going to require a whole lot of strength and effort and you get tired pretty easily. But I will give you strength greater than your own and being weak doesn't mean that you can't be on my team. We have a God who himself is willing to look weak and defeated. That's how the chapter opens, isn't it? Babylonian king tore down the temple and took the treasures of the temple and put them in the house of his God. Our God loves the world enough that he would be willing to look weak and defeated and broken himself. That's the gospel of strength that works through weakness. That's the story of Jesus right here in the book of Daniel. I read a story once about a young man who went into a candy store He'd saved up pennies and nickels to buy a bag of candy. 
the shop owner was patient with him and said, put all your coins on the counter. And he did. And the boy couldn't count yet. So the shop owner took one penny in his hand and started to rub it like this while he counted all the others. And he counted and he counted and he rubbed and he rubbed. And at the end, he said, I'm sorry, son, but we're one penny short. And then he put the penny on the counter they had been rubbing and now it was shiny. And he said, but the good news is in my store, a shiny penny counts for two. So you have enough. In God's gospel story, weakness counts twice. Weakness counts as strength. When the God at the heart of the story, when the God who loves the world, loves the world so much that he would take on flesh and die and rise again. Weakness becomes strength. Christ Church, your God loves the world and he will use you to love all kinds of people in all kinds of places, far away places and right here places. And don't you ever think that you're too weak, that you aren't enough of a hero, that you can't be a Daniel. We've already got one Jesus. And that's all the strength we need. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for setting apart your people for the good of the world. Thank you for setting apart your servants to love all kinds of people in all kinds of places. Thank you for setting apart this congregation and all its members and leaders so that ministries could flourish here in Jacksonville and in faraway places as well. Thank you most of all for setting apart Jesus, the, the one shiny penny out of all the coins in the world. Thank you. Thank you. That your work in the world depends not on our strength and power or on the favor of a king. It depends on your grace and mercy sealed by the work of your son. Amen.